Welcome to the Theory of Pro Wrestling, where we explore modern pro wrestling through the lens of storytelling and narrative devices. I'm Jordan Cooper, joined by the Emmy Award winning... There it is. John Alba, who is playing a, a weird role that he's not used to on the show. I'm convinced after the first two episodes, you're the baby face of this podcast. I'd like to think I'm a little more optimistic than you. Yeah, I'd say that, but I don't... It is a weird role. I'll tell you that. I In my eight and a half years on the indie scene, I think I've been a baby face for a grand total of maybe two or three shows. So doing that whole shtick is a little abnormal for me. But we'll get into the psychology of why on today's episode of The Theory of Pro Wrestling. Right. I feel like I ask you questions. We bring up uh, subjects in, in professional wrestling. You explain why, and I go... But really, is it? But is it? <laughs> I feel like a lot of time in a lot of my shows that I do, my role is to kind of play devil's advocate. And maybe it's just something I'm inherently used to at this juncture. But I'll always try to look at the more optimistic side of things. And you know, according to some people like Eric Bischoff, that makes me soft. But uh, maybe if it makes me soft, so be it. I don't know. I feel like when people say like he's got that dog in him. That dog in me is like a Maltese or a Bichon. So that's just how it is, Jordan, you know. Well, there's one place where you're definitely a baby face, and that's on your that's Patreon right. and right. Discord community. Damn Wrestling right. according to Alba.com. We want weekly tape studies. Hell yeah. Ask Albas. Oh yeah. Pay-per-view and premium live event previews and Kelly, reviews. Baby. As well as the Discord community, and we we get mostly along in there, uh, mostly. discussing. A lot of times, I like a match that someone else doesn't, and vice versa. But whatever, we can debate those things in a civilized fashion and get inside of the Discord. We do have, we do set, we do sort of have baby faces and heels in the Discord, right? Personality wise, I think I'd say so. I definitely say so. I think there's a nice myriad of characters in there, and. Uh, we we make for a nice, fun little community, and I always say it's a safe space for anyone to dish an opinion as long as they are respectful of their cohorts. That is all that matters to me. Well, we've used the terms baby faces and heels, like very, like liberally, broadly, like, very broadly, like broadly. We all we all think of it, right? Most people, baby faces, the good guys, heels, the bad guys. But do you think that that's a little too simplistic or maybe not as accurate of a definition of what exactly is a babyface and what exactly is a heel in the dynamic of pro wrestling. I think the beauty of storytelling Jordan in the last two or three decades, aside from pro wrestling is we have come around to understand that life is not defined by a good guy and a bad guy, that there are people who sometimes fall in the middle of that, or they lean more one side, but have characteristics and traits of another thing. So I think that's something that storytelling in a general sense has embraced where we have seen the advent of the anti-hero become much more popular in the culture of storytelling. So once upon a time, I did think it was pretty much as simplistic as here's a baby face, a good guy, here's a heel, a bad guy. But now I think we've come around in popular culture where it is embraced that layers are appreciated in fleshing out characters and determining what their motivations are and where they stand on that spectrum. Well, from a storytelling perspective, if we look at novels, if mm -hmm. we look at films, like these are mediums where there is no immediate audience reaction. Like when you write a novel, you're writing it as this is the character that... I believe that the reader 
is going to emotionally attach to in a positive way. And here's a character that they will emotionally attach to in a negative way. And same on film. You you record this, you film it, it's taped. Sure. You know, you, they go to Vancouver, they shoot the whole thing, whatever. And they, they present it this way and they hope that is it is effective. Do you think because professional wrestling is a, it, it, there's a live dynamic. It's, it, it's a live TV show. You're watching theater to some extent. And there's a lot of improvisation. And it's also written more like a soap opera where, it's kind of uh, it could morph into whatever they want because they're writing scripts only a week or two in advance. Do you think that good guy and bad guy, even good characteristics, bad characteristics aren't as aren't as useful as determining who the babyface and heel when writing a story? Is it more the fact that a babyface, instead of being one with virtue, is one that simply gets cheered? Simply the emotional attachment in a positive way defines what a baby face in and the emotional attachment in a negative way defines what a heel is, regardless of that virtue whatsoever. It's a very complex question because that really is something that can only be answered in the context of pro wrestling because there really is no other form of entertainment that you are receiving instant gratification or instant reaction based on how an audience receives something there's no other even in broadway theater an audience is not shouting in the middle of act one 25 minutes in they're not yeah if you're watching spam a lot and king arthur says oh we're gonna find the holy grail the audience doesn't go boo <laughs> you know like that just doesn't happen in any other form of media or theater or storytelling i think your question is a very interesting one in that we have seen an evolution of sorts where I think fans in wrestling decide who they like and let you know about that, regardless of what the storytelling is, regardless of what the booking is, because fans are so much more in tune now to the overall well-roundedness of the industry, where someone may be presented as a bad guy on TV, but they're like, no, you know what, that guy... That guy's been working really hard the last seven years in this company, and he's been overlooked. Look at Ty Dillinger, Sean Spears, when he was doing the perfect 10 gimmick. He was a heel, but everyone loved the gimmick. They're like, this guy's a workhorse. He's likable. We're going to get behind him. So even though in the booking sense, he's booked as a heel, a bad guy doing bad guy things, it endeared itself to audiences. So I do think that in recent years, we have seen that change where a babyface per se isn't necessarily a good guy solely based on the notion that I'm going to do what is right in a character sense, in a story sense. The real life elements of these performers have become part of this. Well, I think the dynamic of how we define these things as more in the audience reaction than in the storytelling you know, how the promotion is presenting it. I think it still applies today that you go back in the past and it was presented very heavily. There were very few tweeners. Sure. And we'll get into that in part two. That you need someone to, the crowd to root for someone or at least root against someone or people will just be indifferent and ambivalent to, like you said in previous shows like the live event era of why should we come out either we're coming out because we want to see this guy beat up the other guy 
And even if we don't like this guy, we want to see this other guy beat up. Or even if we don't hate the other guy, we still love the other guy even more. That it's not a matter of like, well, this is this is a, this is a really good guy that no one really cares about. And here's a here's a guy that's presented as like with no virtue that really we, we feel fairly indifferent to. Like who's coming out to see that? Who's tuning in on TV to see that? So do you think that it's actually more important than the story itself? That if you cannot set up a protagonist and an antagonist mm-hmm. relationship, a someone that has a goal that the crowd is looking to, you know, we were, we're cheering them on for that goal. And then someone thwarting that goal. Like yeah. once you, once you remove that, it kind of like, it doesn't even matter what story you're telling. Cause no, there is no story. There is no story without people to care about and something to identify with. It's, it's really as simple as that. You can't get an audience to care about something if they don't care about the characters that are part of it, whatever that character may be, whether they're good or they're bad. And, In some circumstances, you want to see a bad guy overcome their hurdles and become good. In in some cases, you want to see a good guy overcome the adversity that's placed in front of them. Whatever the story may be, you have to care about a character in some way. Because what is the genesis of a character, Jordan? The genesis of a character is that we find something in a character that we relate to or something that we feel towards. In a lot of cases, with a good character, a good quality baby face, a good quality, good guy. You find something in your human spirit that you identify with, that you feel with that character in their pursuit of their journey, whatever that journey may be. In some cases you find something you really despise in a bad guy, in a heel that because it's so deeply personal to you that you feel this certain way about something, they stand for everything that you're not. And I think that that is equally as important in getting audience investment Uh, in in that sense as well. And that's why a lot of times cheap heat per se, that term that gets thrown around so much, I I really feel like it's lame because you're not generating engagement from an audience based on something that they feel. It's more apathy. It's more turning people away from something. And, And that for me is concerning in presentation. So I think ultimately to your point, long-winded answer here, you have to have characters that people identify with something in, in order to have a story. Well, do you think the cheap heat happens, right? We call it cheap heat because mm-hmm. it's basically hacky heat. It's not really cheap. It's just, sure. it's stuff that we've seen. It's very superficial. Is that a byproduct of the medium itself? Like we don't, we don't have the ability whether it, especially if you go into a live show where that's all you have, but even on TV, where the the environment is so limiting that the way that you portray a good guy and a bad guy, or someone that is more likely to get cheered and more likely to get booed, is really in the span of like, well, what can we do in the match? Mm-hmm. So we see, like what my wife would say, is that she views heels predominantly through who cheats, right? Cheel, uh, heels cheat and baby faces do not cheat. And I think if you expand that even further, I think what you need is unjust justification and unjustification, if, if you want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. I think if the audience, through the medium of just pro wrestling, we don't get to see them at home. No. We don't get to see scenes. I mean, we have backstage interviews. We have 
some dynamics there, but it's very limited on the actions that you could even show as pro wrestling storytelling, that if the audience feels like uh, the character's justification, like, like the, to that goal, like what they're doing is justified, we're much more likely to cheer them. And when we feel that a character is doing things that are unjustified of like, like, no, no, that's not the way you should be doing things. Or you're confident, even though we've seen, we, we you shouldn't be that confident. And then baby faces are, well, no, no, you should be more confident than you are. We, we believe in you that that justification matters when we don't get the ability yeah. to, you know, play out scenes that are outside of really a wrestling ring. Well, there's a lot of layers to that too, Jordan, where I believe just my personal mentality that, a heel very much can have justification in what they do. And I think that a heel that in just in kayfabe in character here, a heel that genuinely believes their own bullshit for a lack of better term. You see the difference in a character that exists in that realm versus someone who does not. And I think it's very apparent to an audience in that regard. I'll use this example. Take you go to a local state fair, right, or a community fair, county fair, whatever it is, and you see the local indie promotion that sets up where they're running three shows a day with the guy that was my electrician earlier this week as their top baby face. Nobody knows anything about those characters, right? You know nothing about them, but they've got about 15 seconds from their entrance to the ring. To convince you this guy's a good guy, this guy's a bad guy. How do they do that is the ultimate test of is this quality character work? You know, what visual cues am I giving out? Uh, am I getting on a microphone and just shouting, you people? Th there are all those different little things that you can do in a very short period of time to establish a character. And um, I think that these very successful characters are the ones that are able to provide layers over time and allow people to become invested for better or for worse in them. Do you think that's a byproduct of the, of the TV era versus the live event? No, because because kind of that I, like you describe a live event. I go to an, I go, I could go here in Louisville. I could go to OVW. I could go to mm. the indie shows. And if I'm not familiar with the, the product at all, I'm seeing, you know, eight matches with, people I've never seen before, whatever, that they have to be focused on. Like, if you don't care about this match, like, you, like you're not going to be invested in going to another show or, or even rooting for anyone, that there's so much you could do in only 15 seconds. Sure. Yet, on, yet once you get to the television platform, and we've seen this, I think, that the shift from, like, the indies... You go to a GCW show, like I go, I know the expectation is that I'm going to see two-dimensional characters. Now, maybe I do follow the promotion more than others, but I'm going under that they're going to present this in a in a way where, you know, they'll talk about the local sports team. You know, they'll, you know, the, the baby face has the fiery comeback and the, the, the underneath spots and like, okay, I get it. But then when you go to weekly television where you're going to be exposed like, week after week after week after week like you don't you have more than 15 seconds to work with and do you feel as if 
there are certain there are certain performers that excel in environments where they get to showcase like nuances over time mm-hmm. versus those that kind of show up and are just like, well, I'm a heel now and mm-hmm. screw your local sports team. Like, I mean, you obviously it feels like audiences don't react to that no. nearly as much as they would even in just a local indie show. Sure. And now listen, like when you have the benefits of television where you can do the long play with a lot of these character storytellings, that's obviously going to be more favorable. But I still think that a performer who is confident in who their character is can properly emote that and give off an aura to an audience in a live indie show or whatever the situation may be where it is easy to identify what type of character they are in a short period of time. I really do believe that. But are there differences between those types of characters? Like my point is that let's say I go to an indie show, Mm -hmm. eight matches, they got 15 seconds. There's only so much you could do that. I could be like, Oh, they, they got it to work for this one, one night. I know who the baby face is. I know who the heel is. I know what my part is. And we'll get into that, whether that plays a role, but how about the next match? Like how many different ways are there to do that in 15 seconds where I just don't go, well, this is, this guy is obviously the heel, but he's kind of the heel in the same way. The last guy was a heel, even though they may have obviously a different look. Yeah. Right. It'll come some different taunts, some different moveset. It just, I still feel like they're two dimensional characters where I don't look at them and go, well, this baby face is different from that baby face because of X. And this heel is different from this heel because of X. And I and I think that that the best performers are ones and very similar in stand-up comedy, where I could write jokes that are funny, but if I say them, it's much more or less effective than if another comic says them, because you look at the material and go, that's what that person would say. And that's the mm-hmm. biggest part of yeah. developing as a stand-up comic, your own voice of right. your material fits. I see this person saying that, but if this other person said it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't sure. really be as effective because I don't buy that character saying that thing. Of course. And, and I think that that's why earning that equity with an audience where this might be their first time seeing you, but if you are able to perform at a level where they start to get an understanding, even in that one match that they're seeing you of who your character is, what their motivations are, how they go about doing their business, babyface or heel. You then hope for that investment to return upon seeing you the next show and the next show. And the more that they invest in you and invest in the long form storytelling of your character or coming to show after show, they start to see the more layers there are to that character and they start to identify, okay, that is that person's style. That is that person's voice. It's like writer's voice, right? When someone writes something, you're not going to pick up a writer's voice immediately, but the more pieces you read, you start to identify, okay, that's how that person speaks. That's how that person's writing is. I can hear this editorial that I'm reading in this person's style, in this person's voice. So if someone doesn't successfully do that, well then, yeah, you're, essentially providing them with a one-dimensional or as you've said a two-dimensional character that those are the people who aren't going to find a high level of success in the industry that's just the reality of it and 
and obviously there are other barriers to that, but I, I do think that someone who's not able to fully understand who they are as a character is DOA when it comes to trying to successfully tell stories and in turn climb that ladder within the industry. And I think motivation is... Motivation is everything, Jordan. Motivation, motivation is, is the most important, I think, especially for the TV product. Mm-hmm. The, the continual serial... TV product rather than the standalone indie shows during the why is the ultimate underlying factor in every single character. The why is the single most important thing in, in any form of storytelling, not just pro wrestling. If you do not understand a character's motivations, you're never going to form a connection with that character. I mean, it comes down to what protagonists and antagonists are. Mm-hmm. I mean, a protagonist is someone that seeks to accomplish a goal while antagonists obstruct that goal either, right? We see protagonists that are heroes that have high moral character. We have anti-heroes that are unwilling heroes. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're not, they're not trying to be the hero, but Hey, they're still trying to accomplish a goal nonetheless. And then you also have antagonists that could be villains where their, their goal is to obstruct the the protagonist because because of their lack of virtue their lack of moral character but you also have conflict creators like i I like i think the most more classic one is in les mis javert like he's a police officer he's just he's do he doesn't think he's like you look at him and go i don't think he's evil or anything he's just he's john valjean stole a loaf of bread and left escaped jail and he's going after it so he's like we don't think of him as a bad guy but he's still there to obstruct John Valjean's goals of, you know, leading a normal life again. There's also inanimate forces. We see movies, obviously the volcano, right? <laughs> Climate change is, yeah. you know, like, like that. And then also, and I think some of the most compelling stories and it, there's not as much in pro wrestling, but I think the ones that do it well are the ones where the protagonists themselves is the antagonist yep. where mm-hmm. they're battling with themselves. And I, and I used the, to me, the two most compelling characters in, in major professional wrestling in the United States are hangman, Adam page and Eddie Kingston. Yep. Yeah. I knew you were going to say hangman. Cause I mean, that example that you just said, hangman is the living, breathing embodiment of that and how we've seen his character presented where this character, this baby face, and this is something that we can talk about too, Jordan, about how the industry has evolved in terms of storytelling it is okay now that the baby face is not machismo. The baby face is not this impenetrable character. They have vulnerability. And I think vulnerability is something that a lot of people identify with. They connect with vulnerability because maybe they themselves are vulnerable or maybe they wish they were more vulnerable. So when they see a character presented in a positive light as vulnerable, well, now you've formed an entirely different connection that really didn't exist before in the medium. And I'm glad that the industry is starting to recognize that that is a valuable way to tell a story. Do you think it is also the byproduct of the overexposure of common protagonist antagonist relationships where the protagonists, I mean, we see in professional wrestling, it is a fictional wrestling federation. The number one, goal of most most characters are i want to win the title right or move up ranks or something like that or defeat this 
villain that is standing in the way of ultimately getting me to that title that especially in the medium of pro wrestling where you're just limited to this environment and we've seen you know 20 30 years of you know you could watch wrestling on tv every day all over the place that the 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 plots and stories that involve the character overcoming a flaw are much more compelling because they didn't exist much in the past because I think in that past era, the live event era, the one-off era, get you back into the arena, you know, buy a ticket, come back next month, is that they viewed the characters as uh, an escape mm-hmm. of, we want the audience to think like, what would I be if I was a superhero? Absolutely. If I was, if, if I, all these flaws that I have, if I could get rid of them and just root for this guy, like that's why I'm there for these two or three it's hours and, where, and, and be my normal miserable self. It's a realm again. where larger than life exists in, in right. tangible form. Right. But I think characters now audiences now, especially with the, the proliferation of a lot of media is that, we almost we almost find the escapism to be too unrealistic where we want to see we want to root for real people i mean look look in look in the early 2000s like reality shows i mean reality shows are popular now it's like and the shows where it's like oh i'm a good guy and here's monster of the week that existed in the past those shows aren't really as successful as they were so do you think that that the most compelling protagonists have flaws and the most compelling antagonists are actually ones where you could easily identify their own sense of virtue. You could go, I understand where that guy is coming from. I don't, I don't agree with it. I think they're still standing in the way of this other person. We take a look at the bloodline and I'm, I could argue, I, I, I think I'd be correct that, Truthfully, the protagonist in that story is Roman Reigns, and his goal is to keep his family together. And the 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 people in the way of that are Jay Uso, are Sami Zayn, are Kevin, all all of his opponents. The only one out of his opponents that really had a protagonist viewpoint is Sami Zayn, because he wanted to take them down. But it feels like everyone else was like, Roman has the title, and I want the title. But that's not really in relation to Roman's story at all. Roman's really the he's the villainous protagonist. But the reason that makes that whole the whole story compelling is that if I was in his position and he's doing whatever he can to keep his family together, even if it's gaslighting yeah. for his own insecurity, at least I could see where he cut. Well, he had he. My wife has said. Roman Reigns is the most insecure character on WWE TV because he can't exist outside of his own his own kingdom. So he clutches to it as much as possible. And he all, even though we're rooting against him, I can relate to that. People have dysfunctional families all the time and they can relate to that. I feel like that is the latest trend in storytelling, specifically with villains, is that a lot of writers try to portray villains with motivations that even if you don't agree with them, you can understand where they're coming from. Is that effective? In some cases it is. In some cases, I think it might be a bit of a reach. I'll give you a very successful example of that in media 
and that's Thanos in in Marvel, where Thanos, this guy is a mass murderer. But you see his motivations are that he saw firsthand how poverty and famine and, and all of these different horrible things affected his own world and how he hated seeing people suffer. So in his mind, just wiping half of that out to allow resources for everyone else to live and thrive makes more sense. Not understanding that, well, they're with that means that you are tearing apart millions and millions and millions of lives and you're, you're, you know, a mass murder again. So I think that we are recognizing that in medium in media, Jordan, where characters like Roman Reigns, how he is right now, um, the dimensions to that allow us to become more invested in their eventual downfall. Uh, we have an understanding of what they do, but it, it, even if we understand, we vehemently disagree. Because at the end of the day, we are rooting for the protagonists, the Avengers, Sami Zayn, whomever it may be, Cody Rhodes, to make right on the perceived wrong. But I do think having those layers makes for such a more, uh, what would be the right word? I don't want to say captivating because I think you can tell captivating stories without like resonate. That. I thought your favorite I, word is I, resonance. It's resonance. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely resonance for sure. It's, it's something that you resonate more with and in turn, you're going to become more invested in that story. Well, I think you mentioned Cody Rhodes. I think there's, there's, it's a much more compelling story to me. What the title means to Cody compared to what the title means to any of the other characters, even Absolutely. though, Hey, I may, I may like, Finn Balor. I may like Shinsuke Nakamura. It's like, oh, I, I would love to see him go and win the title. But it feels like I'm doing it because and, and you see this in a, in a lot of old school wrestling fans. Like one of the things that 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 gets me, I understand it, but it's like it, to me, it seems like a much more two dimensional, simplistic attitude of they view the MacGuffin. And we'll talk about that in a future episode of like the be all end all of what the climax of something is. And it's like, I want to see the guy that I like get the top title or work up and get the mid title and whatever. And it's like, well, once they get the title, like what does that mean? All to me, it feels like the, that, that type of person, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying is they're emotionally invested in. I want to justify that my enjoyment of this character, everyone that, that the company agrees with, but for me, I, I find it much more compelling when when the title means something more than just the title to the cast. Absolutely. Well, and that's why WWE was in such a unique opportunity this past early spring, late winter, where you had these two characters and Sami Zayn and Cody Rhodes, both going after the top guy, Roman Reigns, for totally different reasons. And that's why I thought that a lot of people who wanted Sami Zayn to beat Roman for the championship were maybe a little overzealous with that because Sami Zayn's story was never about being the world champion. Well, His it was in by, by proxy, John. If if he believed that taking the title away from Roman would destroy, understandable. Him. Yeah, and and I I understand that element of it, but that is not where the story was rooted, in my opinion. It was much more personal. And the title in the instance that you just suggested could have been used as a vehicle to really stick that proverbial knife in his heart. Whereas Cody, that championship 
meant so much more than just pinning Roman Reigns. It meant cementing his journey. It meant elevating himself into a spot that he always believed he could be, to, to be the guy, to be the next John Cena. And also right his father's wrong. And right? to, at the end of the day, fulfill what his father could not. There are so many layers and elements of that. And that's why they were in such a unique circumstance with two guys who had fairly different motivations. And at the end of the day, well... We, we know how the story played out, but um, uh, it it questions whether or not Jordan and I really do wonder they will ever be able to recapture either of those story beats again, should they choose to revisit Cody or Sammy at a later point. I mean, if we look at the other company, what would what's the difference? I mean, I think there's a humongous difference. If Hangman Adam Page won the world title off of Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega, mm-hmm. like it absolutely like the story makes is so much more fulfilling when it's against Kenny. So the story isn't necessarily about him winning the title, it's him winning the title to prove something, right? It's something more than that. And I think the most compelling stories are that. Why do you think that? The a lot of the audience, there's it seems to be a break. There's audiences that kind of watched stories like The Sopranos and Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones and Succession and Lost and stuff like that. Where, like, I I'm not rooting for them to be rescued. I'm rooting for them to be redeemed. And if that happens to be through the rescue. So be it, but I'm fine with them never getting rescued as long as they get redeemed. That when we take a look at like the old school thinking of like, well, it's either the title or it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, you know, we take a look at the mid 2000s, the ruthless aggression era, when, when Randy Orton could have 7 million title reigns and Cena has title reigns and Edge has title reigns. I just, to me, a lot of the reigns of titles or people winning the titles outside of who'd you guess it? Who's the most title in that era? Who was the most fulfilled? Like from an audience perspective, we, they, they replay it uh, for, you know, the best moments on raw is when Mick Foley won the title, you know, the big pop Austin comes out because like for, for the guy that Mick Foley was knowing how the industry is for that guy, to hold the top title, that means so much more than anything else. And I feel like like for 10 or 15 years in between that, like it just came down to who's your favorite wrestler and who's and the top who guy. Who's, yep, mm-hmm. And there and yep. it seemed to be not attached where the title isn't the be all end all of why you're watching the show. Yeah, I mean, I think that was definitely an approach that changed in wrestling for a long period of time. Now, listen, I, I I do believe this, that a title is a prop at the end of the day. It's a prop that leverages motivation. It's a prop that is used as a storytelling device. I, I'm not a believer that the title makes the man, if that's per se. Someone becomes a world champion and all of a sudden they're this amazing fleshed out character. I don't believe that. But when it is used effectively 
as that storytelling device, you see these amazing, amazing evolutions of these performers and these characters, as you just alluded to with Mick Foley. I mean, I think Daniel Bryan and his story with the authority, that was a multi-layered story where kind of like you just laid it out. Him beating the authority was a big thing that was important, but him doing so and that being in the way of him winning those championships where I am an A-plus player and here's how I'm going to prove it by winning these championships and by beating the authority in the process. That's where you're seeing it leveraged successfully and it helps take the character to that next level. Do you think that's where audience dictation comes in? Because, like, my wife says says this, like, you show your love by booing, right? And there's a difference between, like, the performer and the character. I think this is a very modern pro wrestling dynamic. People rooted for Daniel Bryan because not of necessarily the character of Daniel Bryan, but because of the performer Bryan Danielson of, like, you mentioned before earlier, this guy, seven years, right? He deserves, he deserves a push. We think he we think he deserves it. They chant, you deserve it when they win the title or something like that. Doesn't that break the fact that like the story that as a protagonist and as antagonists, like in modern pro wrestling, there is some dynamic of People rooting for performers. We see with MJF. Oh, I mean, yeah. Dude, I go with shows and MJF. Do you hear the music? Everyone cheers, Jordan. and then it's like, oh, oh, oh yeah, we, we're we're supposed I, to boo now. We 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 think he's great, I but you know that he's a heel, so we're gonna boo him. So, like, how does that mess around with like I would argue now more people root for the performer than they do the character, and I don't necessarily believe that's of the fault of any organization or promotion. I think that is just with the way that media has evolved and we get a much more personal look into the lives of these people playing these characters. People identify at a very real level with these performers. And I think as a result of that, they are now just as invested in the personal journey of the person behind the character as they are behind the character. Now, if you can successfully leverage that into creating emotion towards a character whether it's a good emotion or a bad emotion then i mean that's the ultimate test of storytelling and great booking and being able to portray those characters in ways that will help your promotion out at the end of the day the daniel bryan thing i used it as an example but it is also simultaneously kind of a bit of an outlier it was a once in a lifetime story that can only be told with very specific circumstances coming together at a certain time. Well, let's let's let let John, then let's take a a, a little bit more recent example Mm -hmm. that we don't know how it's going to play out. LA Knight. Yep. Mm -hmm. Is being, is presented as a heel, right? But slowly, slowly he's starting to change that though. Slow, maybe. I mean, he kind of tried to rip off Ray Mysterio's mask two weeks ago. No, so. but I mean, even like as we taped this last night, he was very much leaning into a big time change of character uh, where he, he, I mean, he made point to the fact that when he steps in the ring, people identify with him and, and he feeds off of them. And- right, but I think the reason why LA Knight, the crowd has gotten behind him mm-hmm. 
is more the fact that the audience is basically saying, we think your performance is great. And I don't know why we're not seeing more of you. Do you think that, that fighting that, and we've seen obviously WWE do this a lot. Do you think promotions that present faces as heels and heels as faces inhibit and in, in, in some way, even character based, we saw in AW with Cody Rhodes that Cody Rhodes. Yeah. The, if we go back to what exactly is a baby face, what exactly is a heel? I'm I'm saying that it's more driven on audience than by character traits. Mm-hmm. That if the audience is starting to boo you, we're seeing that now with CM Punk in storyline. There's no reason for him to be a heel technically, other than we know what happened behind yeah, the scenes. He hasn't done anything wrong on camera, right? But the problem that happens there from from a storytelling perspective is that. If you're presenting someone as a babyface that's that then is getting booed, it's hard for the opposing heel to develop their character because they're de facto 100%. getting cheered in right. some either they're getting cheered or they're like, yeah, we don't mind if this heel beats the crap out of the babyface, and then it kind of it kind of inhibits what they yeah. can do. Mm-hmm. We see that dynamic. We've seen that dynamic play out tons of times. Where the promotion is like, nope, Roman Reigns is the babyface. Batista in 2014. Right. It was the same exact thing. But in, in that case, they pivoted. Um, but yeah, I, and I mean, I think the best promoters are the one, and best storytellers specifically are the ones who listen to the responses that are dictated by the crowds. And they creatively find ways to evolve characters along that route. And it's not easy. It's It's not an easy thing because you also... You can't just make a hard pivot because then in a hard pivot, motivations can get lost. You don't understand why a character is doing something other than the fact that they're getting booed now. So there has to be justification and reasoning for why that character would experience change alongside those audience reactions. And they can feed into each other, but it's up to the storyteller to effectively find a way to convey that to the audience in a way that's sensical. And that's a very difficult thing to do. I was a little disappointed in AEW with the Cody stuff because it seemed like such a natural opportunity for Cody to really prove how talented he is and how layered and understanding he is of character to have found a way to pivot and shift gears with his motivations. And I was a little disappointed that that didn't happen. But it affects other performers. It affects uh, other characters in the story. But then on the flip side of that, Jordan, it can also positively affect people. Maybe it provides you an opportunity for someone who maybe wasn't leaning into something well as a heel. Well, now I can leverage that into getting them cheered as a babyface and into getting crowds to care about them as a babyface character. I, I do think there are ways to do that. There's not a one size fits all. I'm not going to sit here and be like, this is what you need to do. But it does involve being cognizant of what is this character's motivations? What can we do to naturally evolve them without it feeling we're only doing this because this is what the crowd is telling us to do? Doesn't that cement the, my point more that baby faces and heels are defined more by the audience? Absolutely. Than- I mean, that's this is not me pointing something out against you. I, I totally agree with you. I think that's where we are right now in wrestling, that the audience voice is more powerful than ever. And there are promotions out there who 
will push back on said audience voice as hard as they possibly can. In but the stories don't work when they like the thing is is that yeah. they they try, but the stories like they break down. Do you you don't have a protagonist antagonist relationship oh. anymore. You end up with the the worst scenario, which is like the heel heel matchup. Even if we look just on, on like a a single match perspective, like there are a lot of people that. In the, in the industry, they're like, well, two baby faces against each other isn't good because you get a 50-50 reaction. But I think heel-heel matches are the worst because you may get a, just an indifferent reaction of like, like we don't care about... We we hate both of these guys equally. We'd rather them both die. <laughs> and I, 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 I don't see... Do you see many heel-heel matches ever? No, not really, because they don't work. I mean, even... A babyface babyface match can work too, but they're very difficult to pull off because then you're looking at how does a character evolve in the middle of telling the story, in the middle of this match. It's a very difficult thing to do. But I do think if you do that well, you can then add another layer to a character that they can lean into going forward in how you tell stories. Uh, lastly, I wanted to uh, touch on something that's storytelling with protagonists and antagonists that goes back to some of the conversations that you have on strictly business mm -hmm. Derek Bischoff obviously well find it on iTunes and subscribe to to that I hope show. it's not about AEW because AEW doesn't tell stories according to Eric so <laughs> we don't have to talk about that today <laughs> but I think uh to to get on Eric Bischoff's side as the, I'm I'm looking at him as the heel and I'm trying to see his own sense of virtue in his point of view Eric a lot of times he way. He br he brings up like the the sit I call it the sitcom formula mm -hmm. of like you have you know the main character that's the A story then you have the secondary character the supporting character has a B story maybe there's even a little C story thrown in mm -hmm. now the best of sitcoms end up tying those in together right that the C story affects the A story but like that's kind of how it plays out over 22 minutes sure right and and that's based primarily on there being a protagonist, right? There being supporters of that protagonist and then a, a main antagonist, which could be anything. It's entirely based on that. Right. Uh, promotions over the years are primarily single protagonist focused. Now, in a story, so for instance, obviously a wrestling show can present 10 different stories, right? And that's where Eric Bischoff comes from of, well, what's the A story? Well, the A story is Austin versus McMahon, right? The the D story is is some low Carter getting into a little scuffle with someone else in the back. Like that's like the D story. And he's viewing it through that lens. Do you think that the proliferation of ensemble casts where the audience can't necessarily define what the A story is. What would the main protagonist? What is this? Who is this show about? If to play devil's advocate and agree with Eric Bischoff, you have to admit from a business perspective, which is not what we cover on this show. I find personally find ensemble cast to be more compelling, but from a business perspective, aren't the biggest peaks in business in professional wrestling when it, there's a clearly defined here is the main story and that this is the guy the main protagonist everyone else is not even a b or a c story it's all little d stories 
and everything centered around the show and is about this person. One hundred percent. That's when the best. That that's typically when they make the most amount. I mean, Raw is the Cody show, and SmackDown is the Roman Reigns show, right? Like you know that that's how it is. And Raw was the John Cena show for years. When when you have a clearly defined top character that people are invested in 100%. I mean, that's just the reality. The, the, and there's no better example of this, Jordan, than The Office. The Office, Michael Scott, Steve Carell, was the A character. And they had such a strong ensemble supporting him where there were characters who could be put into that main character role, but then at the end of the day, it was still Michael Scott's show. And you watched for Michael Scott. When Michael Scott leaves the show, Steve Carell's gone. Well, now it is an ensemble show. And there's not one clearly defined main character in this show. You I mean, get to even, choose. I mean, the thing that I like about ensemble cast is that you get to choose and, and what, what stories you believe are the 100%. eight characters. And I don't need to rely on the promotion to like, but, oh, we're going to give all this. This but, is the main. I just want to highlight this because like my wife doesn't find CM Punk to be all that compelling. I mean, she's has a very limited experience. So, like, the reason why she, you know, oh, he's back and they have this new show and everything. It's like, like, I don't mind. She's like, I don't mind seeing CM Punk, but I don't want Dynamite to turn into the CM Punk show because he's the top guy. And I know that that's what wrestling companies tend to do more than that. I want to see these other stories give get more time. Uh, and but do I you think that. that's a that's that's so much harder to accomplish? I think from from like people like you who consume the media in the way that you do. And similarly with me, there is a lot of fun in being able to become invested in the different ensemble members. But to back to my point here with the office, when the cast became an ensemble cast without Steve Carell, the show tanked. I mean, the ratings tanked. There are people that would argue the quality of the show tanked as a result. And it was because there was not one character that defined the show that was the top draw on the show from, and I'm speaking from the business perspective here, right? Um, so I do believe going back to your first point is that in wrestling, you have to have one, if not multiple top tier characters that define this show and everyone else you can layer them, you can put them on a food pyramid, however you want to do it, with some interchangeability and ability to climb the ranks. But the idea should be those top guys can interact with those little guys and raise them. And I, I mean, what's a great example of this, man? Think of when Kurt Angle was on the Ascension to main event player in WWE 2001, right? Uh, late 2000, early 2001. Edge and Christian are this great heel tag team. They're mid-card heel tag team. They pair them together as Team ECK. And now all of a sudden, Edge and Christian are getting into the action of that A story. They're being elevated in terms of their equity, and they're standing on the card. And now you're going to care more about those guys, or that's the idea, at least, that you're going to care more about those guys going forward. So, yeah, I do believe in that principle quite a bit. And I think that's the point that Bischoff makes mm -hmm. a lot of times with AEW, that AEW tends to present their stories on equal footing with one another yeah. rather than predominantly one well, over the other. I think a lot of Bischoff's problem in that sense, too, is more with the show structure, the, the actual way that the show 
is put together where when when he says a story a lot he wants to see it's it's very similar to back in raw where we start the show with austin coming to the promo and we know in the main event the rock's going to be paid off in the main right that's exactly what he means it as right he doesn't necessarily mean that like from a long story, three month story arc type type of thing. What I'm talking about is more of the three month story arc type <laughs> yeah. of thing. That that like I don't I don't need you to spoon feed. It's like oh yeah, this two hours is mostly about this story because I like some a lot of the stories and, on the show. And I want to say for the record, I think Eric is like dead on with that because I think that is how every successful show is structured. You have an a story within the episode. And then you have the other subplots that either tie to the main story or they're resolved in their own way as a supplementary story to what you're getting as the overarching theme of the episode. And I do think, and this is the one thing I've been most critical about Dynamite in particular, is that I think Dynamite would benefit greatly from that sort of storytelling in terms of building investment in the characters. I I really do believe that. And I don't say that in a way to be like, oh, they need to be more like WWE and stuff like that. I don't. I think this is just how successful storytelling that translate to audience investment and people to care uh, is just, I, I think that's just the foundation of it, quite frankly. Right. Cause what, 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 essentially what you're saying is that instead of it being that these two hours are blocked out, like, okay, this is 14 minutes for this story here. It's more of this story is three minutes here, five minutes there, this match there. And then they intertwine, like instead of six blocks of, this is if you like this story, tune in for these twelve minutes. Right, it's more of the show is all about these six stories, and they're it, all exactly. In with and each other. There was one episode, I, and I could be misspeaking here, so I apologize if I am. But there was one episode we did a deep dive on. It might have been a TV match. I think it was the most recent TV match between Danielson and Hangman Page. So, like thinking back to like maybe January or so, whenever it was, it was the same episode that Daniel Garcia won the Pure Championship in Buffalo. And Daniel Garcia was in the main event and they had Danielson and Hangman as the crossover at nine o'clock. And I was just saying to myself in structuring this episode, wouldn't wouldn't it have been so much more fulfilling from a character standpoint and your main event, your A story, your A story is Hangman and Danielson in the beginning of the show. Give us a promo. Give us vignettes. Give us something. Remind us, hey, this is your main event coming up. At the nine o'clock hour, we've got the Garcia match. And then uh, after the Garcia match or before the Garcia match, we got one more vignette. Hey, your main event is this. And here's a promo from them. And then you get that main event where the A story has been carried out from start to finish over the course of the show. You get Garcia, his big win at the crossover hour, which is a very important hour in TV. And then you've successfully tied all those stories together. That's just the way that I look at it. Instead, they put it in the middle of the show and the audience dropped off entirely for that particular episode. So, uh, you know, I, I know that we're getting in the weeds of business here, or at least I am, but the reality is, I think investment. I think that would be more Paris. compelling. I yeah. mean, I, I agree with you just from not a business sense of yeah. like, I think I would have enjoyed the show. I still enjoyed the show, but I of think course. that would have been more effective. A hundred percent. Well, we're going to talk next time in part two about tweeners and turns when it comes to baby faces and heels. Sure, I mean, bro. I think this is I think this is a big topic because hundred percent. I think I mean this this is the core. Like without characters, you end nope. up with MMA. Like in MMA, mm-hmm. it's like okay, I could root for some people. Like there are some people that oh, I like their style or I know their background, so I root for them more. Some people say stupid shit on social media, and I'm like, 
screw those people. I want to see them lose. But like 95% of the, the fighters, I just want to see entertaining fight. Like there's no emotional attachment. Like pro wrestling can't work that way at all. Agreed. And get it all. It's, it's, it's more like a TV show and a movie than it is a sporting event. So I think really ironing down what the baby faces and heels roles in a story. I mean, to me is, I mean, it, without that, everything breaks. It's down. the foundation. Right. Well, you know what the foundation of this show is? It's rooted in your Hell discord yeah. and right. Patreon. Wrestling according to Alba.com. If you want to talk more about this, it's we're in there. Hell yeah. Post a comment. We're going to be live up. in like two minutes over there. So Right. Exactly. Uh, so, John, people can follow you at John Alba. And obviously, you participate a lot in the in the discord. So. Yes. People want to get that, that exclusive access yeah. wrestling according to Alba.com. I'm on Twitter at Blender HD. Appreciate and, uh, you, Jordan. This is a lot of fun, man. And we'll talk more, more about all these storytelling and narrative devices on the next episode of the theory of pro wrestling.